This month's Where Did the Road Go is brought to you by five amazing individuals. Greg Ross, Illuminati, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, and Michael Fritchie. If you want to support the show, you can become a patron at www.wheredidtheroadgo.com. And now our show. Transmission start. Welcome to Where Did the Road Go? Join us as we wander off the path and explore lost history, consciousness, the paranormal, unexplained mysteries, alternative thought, and much more. We are present on the web at wheredidtheroadgo.com. Now here is your host, Soraya. So this is a repost of a show from uh, October 6, 2017, uh, entitled The Dark Night of the Soul. And it's talking about depression and uh, particularly that type of depression that uh, leads you to something new. So, uh, yeah, this seemed to help a lot of people when we initially aired it. It's been a few years since we put it out, obviously. So I wanted to sort of uh, remaster it and put it back out in hopes that uh, it will connect with more people. So I'm joined on this one by Mike Cleland and Red Pill Junkie. And uh, yeah, here it is. Dark Night of the Soul. All right, welcome to this edition of Where Did the Road Go? And tonight with me, this roundtable edition, I should say, and tonight with me, I have Mr. Red Pill Junkie. Hello, good evening. And I have Mike Cleland. Good evening. It's a pleasure to be here. And you haven't been on it a bit, Mike. I haven't been on. I think I've been on more than any person. I mean, me and Aaron Gullius, I think, did a hundred oh, yeah. separate yeah, episodes. But, yeah. but, it's, but it's been a little while since we've had you on. Yeah. That is that is true. That that was like a 92-part uh, series. Yeah. <laughs> And I still, I still get lots of comments on that too. Oh, good, good. He's a much better speaker on the history of UFOs than I am. So he was, you know, I, I was, I just, I felt like I sat and listened to him talk. <laughs> no, no, it, it was a, it was a great series, you guys. I mean, I, I really enjoyed uh, the rapport between the two of you. I think was uh, was really special. Mm-hmm. I would agree. Michigan, we're both from Michigan. <laughs> that must be it. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, it was that you're both respect one another, even though you have very different viewpoints on stuff. And I think that's that's where you get progress. With us. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, so I don't you, think our viewpoints are that different. But, yeah, I guess they're just well, a way of framing it. I guess maybe that's, yeah. Framing it. And I think, you know, like you're more interested in the abduction type scenario. He's more interested in the lights in the sky. Etc. Yeah. You know, you, you look at it in very different ways, I guess is the way to say it. And well, it, and because Aaron is from the looking at it from the outside, right? Whereas Mike is looking at it from the really, really inside right. out of this phenomenon, you know? And, and I think Aaron, because he really hasn't had any experiences, also tends to lean toward being a little more skeptical of stuff. Sure, sure. And I can be skeptical, too. Oh, I know you can. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying, like, if, if, if you have that, that, that razor's edge, and one side's slightly more skeptical, the other side's slightly more willing to believe, you're on the slightly more willing to believe, he's on the slightly more skeptical. Uh, I will sure. beg to differ. I will beg to differr, you know. Really? I, I read Mike's blog for many, many years. And Mike was his biggest skeptic. Oh, sure. You know? Absolutely. I'm, I'm not arguing that. I'm not saying Mike's not a skeptic. Yeah. <laughs> there's a term that, um, uh, which I like, there's a term which I think is, is uh, uh, Christopher Knowles uses in the skeptic, so, mm. which I think is sort of sums it up, you know, when you're. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, and, and anyone who asks questions and questions everything is a skeptic. 
You know, I mean, it's that's good what, to be skeptical. Yeah, yeah, that's what the term means. I mean, it it, it comes from uh, the Greek, and it's it's all about continuing to ask questions. Yep. And it's when you stop asking questions and think you have all the answers that you stop learning, especially with this type of stuff. And getting back to the topic at hand, do you think this uh, in uh, continuous asking of questions, you know, con- the, the the continuous self doubt, could be that be could that be a prompt or or the initiator to to the all too common depressive states yes, we, that we haunts should, many people in, in, in this field? We we we, sh- we should actually mention the topic tonight. Is uh, <laughs> we're going to call it the dark night of the soul, but it's it's a little bit on depression. Before we get into the deeper aspect of that, and you're you're absolutely right. I think that sometimes you you have that sort of you you ask questions over and over and at some point you feel like you know you just don't have the answers and it, it gets depressing and you you start to lose faith and that that definitely leads you into that spiritual crisis but i think when i look around i feel like so many people suffer from depression like it's not a minor thing like it's almost epidemic in our culture and 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 stigmatized so no one talks about it yeah oh, true. and i think that was an, in a funny way prepped me like I went through a series of, I mean, I went through a, I mean, I, I guess I'd been going through it on and off all my life. It never had a name until 19, the winter of 1992, 93, when I was 30 years old. And then I, you know, I actually had to go to a doctor and, and what was wrong with me and I couldn't function. And they said, oh, you're depressed. And I'm like, what? I it didn't, I had no idea what it was. I, and, um, uh, but the, but after that, I talked about it and I kind of made myself, I, I mean, like it, you know, I would, I would, you know, talk about it at you know, restaurants and my experiences. And, and, um, uh, it was very interesting because people did not want to hear about it. And at the same time, what would happen is he'd, you know, talk to five people and four people would kind of like cringe. And then later the fifth person would, would, you know, find me all alone and say, listen, I thank you so much for saying that because, mm-hmm. you know, I have these experiences too. And they would kind of whisper it, you know, looking, you know, looking around the room first, making sure no one was listening. So yeah, it's stigmatized. And I think that that had a huge, impact on my ability to because i don't know why i was so forthright about it but um and um but it had a that was a i felt like like a little preparatory phase for trying to come to terms with the the more bizarre seemingly ufo stuff that that has intersected with my life where i i was just as forthright about that uh and it is equally stigmatized (laughs) and then equally get people who who take you it's usually more than five people on the dinner table it just needs to be about 15 and then one will take you aside so um um and and there's different types of depression too i mean because there there are people who are clinically depressed who have a chemical imbalance that causes them to just be depressed it's not their fault it's not something they can they can shake off or just fix because it's it's built into into their body chemistry and whether or not that comes from uh things in our world like okay so we, we slaughter animals for meat and those animals have that that fear because they're slaughtered in such horrible ways uh at least most of them not all of them uh but you have the, these you know killing houses that just you know the the animals are terrified when they die and this could be uh, first of all it's releasing fear hormones into the into the meat and uh it's also releasing a lot of negative energy into that meat which we're then consuming so how much of that plays a part in how we feel on an everyday basis for the, for the people who eat meat um we're exposed to tons of chemicals every day. Look, uh, it's not that I, I, I sure. It's not that I want to be the the Tom discussion, right? You know, <laughs> the Scientologist who is against uh, uh, 
English um, psychiatry. Uh, but I don't know. I think there, there's something about this idea that, yeah, depression being uh, a chemical imbalance, some, some, some problem in, in your biology, you know, and, and that, that is the way that is treated in our society. But I sometimes think that maybe it's the result of being, it's not the result of having some kind of toxicity in your body, but it's the result of being in a toxic society or, or a toxic environment. And I, I do believe that our society is uh, in many, many ways toxic. And yes. I feel that some people have a natural rejection toward that toxicity and that is uh, manifested in the way of depression and i know that you know it's kind of uh, corny for someone with my moniker to to quote uh, the matrix but it's <laughs> kind of like uh, what morpheus says you know to neo and says uh, there's something that you've always known about this world and it's like a splinter in your head driving your math that, that this world is messed up. This world is uh, running through values that are not only meaningless, but, all, but if, you, if we observe them objectively, they are psychotic. You know, we are yeah. forcing people to live miserable lives, work, you know, uh, God knows how many hours. And, and, and I just read an article in, in, in Japan about, you know, some, some 31-year-old uh, reporter in Japan who literally... Uh, Kill herself uh, uh, by working too hard, you know, and, and that they even have a, 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 a word for that. I think it's Corisha or something like that. So, and, and, and we're forcing ourselves to work too many hours in doing things that we don't like uh, in pursuit of things that they, that the system keeps telling them we must have in order to be happy, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, like a bigger house and a, and a, and a color TV and, and, a, uh, and the, the, the latest iPhone and, and all of these things. And if you don't have that, you're a loser. And, and meanwhile, we are poisoning our planet. We are building walls between us. We are arming ourselves because we are terrified of our neighbors, you know? And this is, quote-unquote, the normal way of thinking. And so the people who are rejecting that and say, you know, I'm stuck into this environment and I don't see a way out of this. And we think that being depressed about it is, <laughs> is some kind of disease. I think that is actually a, a, a sign of, of sanity. <laughs> okay, fair enough. I, I can't I can't argue that. Um but I, I do think there are a lot of factors at play. Of I mean that that, of that is definitely one of them. Um, and, and I think that's a planned factor, honestly. I think that the, the powers that be, the people who are making all the money, uh, want us to feel that way, always want us to feel in need of something um, and never satisfied with what we have. Which certainly is going to make someone depressed. Um, but I mean, there there are things. I mean, there's there's the obvious type of depression that people will go through when you know they lose an, a pet or a loved one or something like that. True. Well, that's mourning. That's that's a, that's yeah. normal, and that should be expected, and that's healthy in any kind of you know human relationship. Yes. Right. Right. But it, but it, it's it is a form of depression, you know, where you just feel like, you know, how am I going to go on without this or this person or, you know, this pet that meant so much to me? Um, yes. And the, that's one of the tests. I mean, you can take a simple test online. You know, this is like 10 questions and they're all very simple. You know, have you been depressed? So the issue is then, you know, the severity and the length and the duration and the source. So, I mean, yeah. 
that was the problem yep. with me. I had no source. I, I just I, there was nothing to point to. There was no dead pet. There was no death in the family, um, and it and it was very probably. I mean, it's really shocking to me to like. Why do I feel this way? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, and I was how oh, to say it like creative enough to like you know, spin these stories. I mean, this is very like, uh, like I must have done something to deserve this is kind of that, that, and that's very normal. I mean, any therapist who's, who's talked to anyone who's depressed will, you know, that they'll hear that, that, you know, I must have done, you know, this irrational guilt. I mean, there's also, I mean, there's things that are right there in the checklist. One of them was impending doom. I mean, I felt like, I felt like a meteorite was about to like smash into the planet. You know, that was, that was very, palpable when 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 i get depressed a lot of times it's that feeling it it is sort of that impending doom feeling um but it's i totally forgot what i was going to say about it Mm. impending doom yeah i don't know yeah it's it's, uh well it was in grade school when i saw the the movie uh uh the day after Mm. remember that oh yeah and and, you know i was drawing uh nuclear mushrooms (laughs) In art class, you know, in grade school, and thank God they didn't have some kind of like uh, psychiatrist in the school. Otherwise, you know, I'm I'm pretty <laughs> sure I would have ended up in some padded room, you know. Yeah, but you're not supposed to draw that stuff. I know, but I did. You know, I I, I really was kind of obsessed with I, with that idea. I mean, ever since I, I I've been, uh, you know, even before I was a teen, I was you know obsessed with the idea of, of of nuclear Armageddon, and then you know the idea of uh, global warming and all of these things. You know, they were to me they were omnipresent. And then to realize that most people, like Mike said, you know, they don't want to talk about it. They don't. They want to keep those kinds of fears as far away of the, of their normal thinking as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, that's to me that was kind of like irrational and and. and of being alone in, in in thinking that way, I think that that feeling of isolation—it's uh—it's the worst the worst part of of, of the the depression. I know what I was going to say. I I feel like you know I mean one one of the the scriptures of you know whether you're depressed is do you just not enjoy doing things? Do you not want to do the stuff that you normally you know makes you feel something? To me, it almost feels like a lack of life energy. Absolutely, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're I, just you're, you feel dead inside. You're just kind of like I don't care. Like there's something missing from the inside of me right now. Well, that's interesting because I mean the first symptom for me of depression, which I actually haven't suffered from for a few years, and I'm, I mean I you know whatever they can get rainy and get I can get the blahs. I can certainly be mm-hmm. you know catch a cold and feel crummy, and that has a sort of depressive quality to it. But I have not been clinically depressed for a few years, and I'm very very grateful for that. Um, the uh, I went on Prozac in I guess it would have been 1993 or so, probably three or four, and um, and I had been on some other medications, and this is that was right at the dawn of the Prozac era, and I and and I had been on another set of medications that were really problematic. They had lots of side effects. Um, Imipramine was the one medication I was on, and when I went on Prozac, it takes a long time for that to take effect. Um, yeah. I mean, it takes, you know, nearly a month in some cases, you know, many weeks. And uh, so you take it and you take it and you feel crummy. And then I just remember there was a day I walked outside. It was a spring day and the birds were chirping and the sun was shining and the sun felt warm. And I and I kind of 
had some errand to do and I walked from my house to the car and I said, oh, what a nice day. And I've, ugh, I literally like, stopped in my tracks. Like I had not had that clear of a thought. Like, oh, it's a nice day. Like, oh, it feels nice, right? It's warm. It's a nice day. And that should be a very normal emotion. Mm-hmm. And I, and I mean, I would have said, I could have like said, well, uh, the bird, I can visually see that the sun is shining and then people equate that to a nice day and I can hear the sound of the birds chirping and I can feel the warmth on my skin. I can equate all those things. And then given social norms and understanding of what people consider appropriate, I would conclude that, that you know, people could consider this environment a nice day. I would have to go through that kind of rigmarole and come to the same conclusion. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I just went, oh, it's a nice day. And I, ugh, I just like, I like, I mean, I remember like literally freezing up and like, oh my God, I have not had a clear thought like that in maybe decades. I was probably 30 years old. I probably hadn't had a thought that, and it was shocking to me. It was like, I was like, holy shh, you know, like I'm like, like I recognized it right then that the, the, the burden of, of what I had been suffering from. Well, you're asking about, I mean, I was on antidepressants and I feel like that they can, they can be, I know there's a lot of bad press about antidepressants and I recognize they're probably overprescribed. And, and, um, and I've heard people sort of say like, oh, it's a happy pill. And I'm like, no, no, it's not a happy pill. It is a pill that alleviates the symptoms of clinical depression. So that's, to me, that's a, you know, that, that's a powerful tool. Yes, it mm-hmm. can be overprescribed. Yes, someone may go on it and stay on it for too long and make, you know, dosages, different drugs. I mean, there's all kinds of side effects and reasons to struggle with these things. But the, um, yes, it, antidepressants alleviate the symptoms of clinical depression in many cases. Hmm. I'm sure there's like, you know, them, you know, I've heard all kinds of like things like, that. you know, one thing that actually shows up is that there's a, oh, and I'm citing stuff. I should be careful what I cite because this is all like, you know, I'm, I would be. What I've heard is that uh, antidepressives is like, um, so they shield you from the valleys of, of uh, emotion, right? They shield you from the really low state of, of, of emotion. But they also numb you from the peaks of emotion. So they only leave you in kind of like a medium. Uh, I, and, and I, yeah, and I think that depends on the medication. And I believe me, I've been on a bunch of them over the decades. And that, that, that definition fits for some of them. But I found that my initial few months on Prozac, I was like, I, you know, when I describe it to people, it sounds like I'm talking about cocaine or something like that. It sounds like I'm on some <laughs> crazy, you know, like high and that wasn't what it was it was that i could all of a sudden hear music and go like oh my gosh i remember really enjoying music i can't remember the last time i enjoyed listening to music like i was hungry i had no appetite i enjoyed eating food so it wasn't like i was in a mania state it was more like i was in a a um like a normal state, yes. So I I agree completely that there are some medications that I've been on. I'm just speaking from my own direct experience, and I wouldn't be able. I'd have to look up the names of them. They're all kind of gobbledygook in my mind now. Um, mm-hmm. But Prozac itself was one of the was I had been on a drug before then that that had all kinds of side effects. And when I was on Prozac, it it like just and it only lasted for a few months, and I stayed on it for seven years. And then I, I eventually got to that point where it was where I felt like I wasn't benefiting from the medication anymore. Um, but mm. those first few months were remarkable. I did I, I made more forward progress in those few months than I had in in, de- in a decade. 
Are, are you still on some kind of antidepressant? I haven't been, and I haven't been. I can't remember the last time I was on. Probably, um, I don't know, maybe six years ago or so. The last time I was on hmm. something. Well, that's good. Okay. Now, you know what I've actually found out: vitamin D. For me, I'm, I'm not a <laughs> psychiatrist, and I can't like say, oh, like, you know. So I'm not. I'm not. But for me, vitamin D has been very helpful. Just over the counter. Just a recommended dosage. It's very helpful. Yeah. So is exercise, and so is eating less sugar. So yeah. But now, Mike, uh, given your uh, background and your entanglement with the UFO contact experience, will you uh, consider your depressive states as being a side effect or some kind of post-traumatic stress disorder caused by these, uh, you know? high strangeness experiences you you've had in your past that you weren't able to reconcile yet well so i will say the answer to that is yes i have considered it and i have no answer and i'm very cautious to say you know aliens made me depressed but um but i will say that my first so i had a missing time event in 1974 i was come late home and come from coming home from a high school football game by about between an hour and a half to two hours. Um, and I would have been 12 years old. I would have been in junior high school. The first memory I have of what I now call depression takes place in that junior high school. And I remember just kind of like mm -hmm. not wanting to talk to anyone. And I would kind of like pace the halls in a way that would fast enough that no one would talk to me. And I remember mm -hmm. being very, very introverted in, in that chapter. And it, and it, I recognize it now as clinical depression. Um, mm. Did one create the other? Did the missing time, the unaccounted for memories cause me to be depressed? I have very seriously considered that. Um, and I don't have an answer. What I can say is I'm, I have met with Bud Hopkins and I've met with Dave Jacobs and I've met with Leo Sprinkle and I've met with Barbara Lamb and I've sat across from them. These are all uh, UFO abduction researchers. Some of them are a little more... Um, Oh, you know, there's a, the people have very strong opinions on each one, every one of these people that I just mentioned, but, um, and rightly so they're, they're out on the edge of their research, but I would sit with them and I would say, listen, I like just heads up before we even start this, I have had a long history of clinical depression and what I call severe clinical depression. And they would just nod their head and go, yep. And you could just tell, like, like I was not the first one that had told them that it seemed to me. And I've actually tried to pin other like researchers down and say, is it is it higher than average? And they, I've never gotten a good answer. And some, you know, in Leo Sprinkle is a clinician. He's a he's a, and so is Barbara Lamb. Um, you know, these are trained. He's a doctor. Or Leo Sprinkle a, has a doctorate in psychology, and Barbara Lamb is a is a licensed family therapist. I think that's right. And um, so these people are in the in a position to to recognize and to know, and and they could not give me a, a, a true answer to to if if it's if there's a statistical blip in the people who are having these contact experiences and are they more depressed i would actually say there's certainly more from and this is something that they that i have heard addressed by clinicians is that they are certainly more people who claim the ufo contact experience have the uh, symptoms that some that some clinicians would say indicate trauma in their life. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, well, Kenneth, Kenneth, 
Kenneth Ring, you know, postulated the encounter-prone personality after finding that people with near-death experiences and UFO abduction experiences had similar things in their lives, including usually some trauma in their youth. And I and I have no trauma in my youth. I had a nice household and stuff like that, unless something happened but, that I don't remember, you know. So, yeah. It, it could also be that that state of depression, whatever that is, opens us up to something else. And that's, yeah. yes, and that's where the... The, the, there's something called shaman sickness that shows that's a you can google it true, shaman sickness is something that's not recognized in the west but if you were you know living in a in a you know village in brazil you know they would understand what that meant completely mm-hmm. oh absolutely and then that kind of leads into the whole dark night of the soul thing that in some cases depression can lead you to spiritual insight have you ever talked with dr janet Colley or Coley? No. She's written a, several books on this, and I think that on exactly this topic. Hmm. So, yeah. And she's also a UFO abduction researcher and hypnotherapist. Okay. Well, she does a form of hypnotherapy. But um, I, I, yeah. I have a, I, I've developed a major problem with anyone that hypnotizes abductees at this point because I feel like they're hijacking what's actually going on to people. Perhaps. Yeah, that's a very, you got, it's a slippery slope. You have to be careful doing anything. So, yeah. <laughs> but she does a very mild form of hypnotherapy. So okay, right. so but but she has yes, she's looking at trauma. Hmm. But uh, I mean, my my experience, my my point of shift uh, came probably in my late nineties, and after a lot of a lot of experiences that that led me up to one particular person who I had gotten together with, and like I felt like okay, what now? You know, like everything led up to this, and now now what happens? I almost felt like I didn't have anywhere to go, and I got very severely depressed, and it was one of those why does anything matter? Why am I? Why are we here? What am I bothered doing anything? Like I had trouble doing anything at all or enjoying anything because I just felt like there was no point, no purpose, no nothing. And even though I looked at everything that had happened to me at that point and said, okay, all this stuff has led to this. Like, it's like looking at a map. Which to me, you know, logically says there was a point behind this, you know. At the same time, I couldn't see it. And it actually, this this was the point I discovered the Seth material. And that's what ended up knocking me out of that, that, that depressive state. Like, I read Seth Speaks and was just so blown away and it kind of gave me something I was missing. And from that point on, it was, it like literally changed my life because it hit me right at that point. How interesting, because I have almost the same experience. I could say that almost word for word, but it was Neil Donald Walsh and his channeled book, Conversations with God, that mm-hmm. that was kind of knocked me. And I, in its very, you know, like I listen to it now and I kind of was, you know, I listened to it, but I, I, I ended up getting a, the, this is back, this is, shows you how long ago it was back in the 90s, I got cassettes, the book on tape and cassettes, and they were all lined up in this cardboard box and um, from all three books. And, uh, and I listened to them somewhat compulsively, and they were very therapeutic. It just painted, it painted the, a, a picture of reality that, 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 I, that I, on some deeper level, like, understood and, and felt like was a valid um, – Oh, I just liked that idea of reality. If I was going to live my life, I might as well live it in in like you know with framing reality that way. Mm, yeah. I, I think I think with the Seth material, it was a matter of suddenly 
things I didn't think I would ever have answers for suddenly were making sense. Um, exactly. Yes. Yes. Like suddenly it was like, oh, wait. And that makes me think this and makes me wonder about this. And, and so suddenly I was moving forward again. And I think it was that, that dead stop I came to where I just, I didn't know where forward was, you know? And we, we always look at that. Oh, we want that perfect life. That's, you know, we have this, this, and this. Well, when you get all those things, what then? You know, like now you have no stimulation. You have no drive. My, I have I've spoken with someone, a friend of mine, and she has dealt with a lot of depression in her life, and she gets kind of angry at like people, and she's like, "Oh, those people have never had any problems. Those people have just everything has gone right with those people, and they're just living this life." And I, I'm so envious, <laughs> and, I, and I say, "Yes, yes, yes," but those people are boring. <laughs> <laughs> I was on um, Den of Lore uh, the other night. And the host, Chris Zucker, had said, I mentioned we were doing this show on the Dark Night of the Soul and depression and stuff, and he had mentioned he suffered from depression. And he had postulated, you know, back in like the dark ages, how depressed those people must have been, you know, being under, you know, the rule of a king and having really nothing and just being, you know, absolutely miserable and barely having food to eat, et cetera, et cetera. But I, I wonder if they really were depressed or if they were so focused on living that that wasn't really an issue. You know, my sense is there probably was a sort of threat of depression. It probably may statistically like not vary too much from where we're at now. You know, I think that, you know, we can romanticize like, you know, living outside and growing our own food and all that stuff. But I mean, good grief, you know, I mean, the, you know, women died at, you know, in childbirth in, in ways well, sure, that we can't even, right. yeah, there's just sure. so many awful things. Um, and that's just one of them. So, yeah, so I don't, I, um, but, uh, my sense is that there's probably been like a, a, I guess, what was it? There was like, there's passages in the Bible that, that like, I can't remember what it was. I, and I wrote it. It's, it's actually quoted in the owl book where someone says, you know, that they talk about owls and owls are, you know, the owls are, it's referenced in the Bible. This, and they used as sort of an adjective, like gloomy, right? Owls are out at night and they're, they're a yeah. gloomy animal. And someone wrote this, this thing about, you know, how the, you know, the, the barren landscape was a desert and only inhabited by the owls of night. And it was this sort of poetic thing. It's really dismal. And then many biblical researchers or some, let's say some biblical researchers have said that, you know, this is the kind of thing that someone would write if they were clinically depressed, you know, this mm. dark, dark, dark stuff like this. So they're wondering whether the actual author of that prose uh, no one knows who it is, you know, these thousands of years later, you know, was actually suffering from clinical depression. That's interesting. The, uh, well, I, I guess I mean it too in the sense that they're, they're not going to be depressed because they're bored in the middle age, you know, they're, because they're so focused on surviving day to day. It's almost like talk about the ultimate thing to take your mind off of it. Well, you know, that's available because uh, it's, it's possible that during the time of the hunter gatherers, people, you know, work less than what we work right now you know they will you know just hunt from the very early morning and maybe they will return to the to the campsite by noon with whatever game they managed to 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 catch and the woman will have gathered some herbs and some maybe some mushrooms or some fruits and the rest of the time is just like you know maybe fixing some hot and the rest of the time is just like you know, play and chat and making love and 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 do whatever. So I, I doubt. I'm skeptical of that assumption that people in 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 previous times 
devoted more time to just uh, uh, survival you know, uh, uh, activities. You know, I mean, I think that they, and, and think about it that, uh, you know, they had more time in the darkness, right? You know, they, they, they by yeah. 6 p.m., you know, the sun went down and it's just you and a candle if you have the, the luxury of a candle. And if you don't have a candle, you know, that's it's you and your thoughts and, and you know, thinking about I, I i think that people all across all over you know history have been wondering about the same kind of like big questions that we keep oh, wondering about, you know, who are who am i what am i doing here you know what's the purpose of those of this all of this and then we create religions yeah we create religions and we create uh philosophies and some people uh, have contacts with uh um strange realities that get glimpses of, of, of the idea that what we are worrying about is really, you know, no big deal. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, you know, uh, people who experience near that experience, uh, a great majority of them, uh, they, they completely overhaul their, 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 their lifestyle, their way of oh, thinking, yeah. you know, if they, if they were, you know, working a nine to five job, you know, trying to get that, you know, uh, Christmas bonus or whatever, you know, they quit their jobs and they devote more, more time to their families. And maybe they start, you know, doing other things like, you know, keeping a garden or whatever. They realize that with things that we worry about are, you know, really no big deal. Agreed. Okay. All right. Um, <laughs> I don't know where to go from there. <laughs> one of the things that I, one of the reasons what I, what, which I, uh, because I wanted to, to join you guys into this subject is because nobody talks about the fact that many people in this field, you know, people who are, have an interest in the quote unquote paranormal suffer from depression. And a lot, I, I know a lot of people, uh, colleagues, you know, people who write, about this stuff they suffer from depression and and to me that is of interest that is i don't know if that is because uh as a, it's a result of society being uh more cruel or the system being you know more harsh to people who want to devote their time to pursuing this kind of interests and instead of doing quote-unquote sensible things like you know like I don't know, have a, a career in accounting or whatever. You know, you're, you're trying to, to make a living uh, writing about the paranormal or researching, you know, ufology. You, 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 pretty soon you realize that that doesn't really uh, bring food to the table. You know, you have to need a, you need to keep the day, your day job indefinitely. There's just a handful of people who actually manage to have a, a good enough living, you know, yeah pursuing this maybe but i don't know if it, it, this kind of uh, depression or loneliness or or feeling isolated is is just a natural reaction of the fact that we are all outsiders we've always felt like outsiders like we're really not part of the herd we're the black sheep you know we 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 think we think about things that most people don't think about and we are inter interested in things that uh, if most people consider to be 
uh, silly, nonsensical, you know, even, you know, dangerous nowadays. So that's what I wanted to, to mention also, aside from, from the, you know, spiritual aspects of, of, of you know, the, the dark night of the soul, the fact that there are many among us who are going or who have went through phases of depression and we don't talk about it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and and like again, does it is it because there's a personality type that's interested in this type of stuff? Is it because we want to know more about why we're here, so we look to the to the edge of it, which is the paranormal, the the unexplained? I mean, I know I found the Seth material because in that state of being utterly and completely depressed, like it was the the lowest I've ever been in my life, I started looking into near death research, and I'm going, is there anything new? Is there anything that really you know strikes a chord or, or says anything new that hasn't been done and what i kept finding is is these you know fairly scientifically written sites you know talking in in detail about the facts of stuff that have been discovered in near-death experiences followed by and seth says and i'd be like what what is it with this channeled entity why does this one particular one keep coming up and i had picked up a seth book for like a buck 50 or something at some small uh used bookstore in the basement of uh, a store in Ithaca that was I think it was called shoestring books and I figured it would be good for a laugh someday so I picked it up and I went where's that Seth book and I dug around for it and I went to the chapter he had about what happens when you die and I realized that before near-death research had taken off in the mid-70s Seth was talking about everything that we had discovered in near-death research explaining some of the anomalies like why some people have experiences and others don't and even like one of the the recent things I had found in doing this research online was that there was a doctor who said, you know, some people who have near-death experiences didn't die. Mm. And uh, they were having them, you know, where their, their body never died and they still had a near-death experience. And here's Seth saying, yes, well, you know, the spirit leaves the body at different times. Sometimes it sticks around afterwards, long after the person's dead. Uh, other times it'll leave before the body dies. And I'm going, well, son of a bitch. Like, he literally has it all written right here. And and that's that's what kind of kicked it in. But it started with that, you know, that sort of, why are we here? What's the point? Is there, you know, are we just dead when we're dead? You know, like. I wanted to know something, and that led me to the Seth material, which then told me something. And and um, I mean, I have often referred to my depression chapter as a death and rebirth. I mean, I feel like I, mm-hmm. I feel like I, I think that's very accurate. I think that's very valid. You know, to say that you know, like, in, I mean, that's the phoenix rising from the ashes. I mean, you, it, you know, it's. I mean, I, it sucks, but I mean, somehow you have to integrate it into your life and move on. And that may take years and years and years. It may never happen. Um, um, and I, and I had Prozac and I had, you know, um, the, the, those books, the Neil Donald Walsh books that do that, you know, similar to the Seth books. Um, so Yes, a death and rebirth. I was one person before I succumbed to the darkest depression, which was when I was 30, and I was a different person afterwards. You know, and it was kind of crappy because, I, I mean, I feel like I just look at a chapter of my life. I just remember where I was, and there was years where my identity was the depressed guy. Like, I, my identity was, mm. like, yeah. you know, I was the depressed guy. And, and that was, I don't want to say unhealthy because I guess I had to move through that phase. It, at a point, at a certain point, it just didn't serve me anymore, and that's and I and I could address, and I was like, kind of ravenously reading these, I don't want to say self help books, but um, 
you know, esoteric stuff. And, mm-hmm. and the, um, and that, you know, so that's the, you know, what, there's an author, Peter Kramer, Dr. Peter Kramer, he wrote a book in the 1990s, I think it was late 80s, early 90s, it must have been around 1990, he wrote a book called Listening to Prozac, um, which is considered one of the first books on the subject of, you know, what does this mean to psychotherapy, to have this new drug that can have such powerful results. And, um, like, before Prozac, like, I had a sort of speech impediment. Sometimes it shows up now where, I'll, where if I'm tired or something like that, I'll, I'll, I'll have these unusually long pauses in my, in my speech. And before Prozac, those were pretty pronounced. And, after, and I just remember it went away, poof, gone completely when I was on Prozac, hmm. a speech impediment. Like, I was cured. Um, and it wasn't, you know, it, it, I could control it, but I certainly recognized that I was struggling with it. Like, it wasn't like a stammer. It was like these unusually long pauses where I would just kind of get stuck. Um, and that was gone. Uh, it never came back to the same degree. Sometimes it still shows up now, but, uh, but in his book, he, he, he cites a lot of unusual cases like that where people have these issues. And so suddenly they're, you know, these issues that they didn't tie directly into depression are, are, are changed. And, um, but he is very clear in his, in his written work. And I think in his other book too, which I think is called, understanding Prozac or understanding depression. I can't, he's written a series of books and I read two of them, but he's very clear that it is the, the creative person. It's the artist. You know, the, there's this romantic vision of the artist, you know, the torture, I mean, Vincent van Gogh, right. You know, this is like this, yeah. this powerful and, you know, like the, even like modern day, you know, the comic book artist who's just like this, you know, you know, clutching his head in his attempt to get these ideas down on paper you know that's that's a real that's that's a that's not a caricature that's a that's a that's a real thing the creative person you go to an art school and find you know like and and look at the 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 on campus counselor you know the line outside the door it's going to be a lot longer than than at the normal college i may be exaggerating a little bit but i'm using that as a you know sort of to make a point but um yes yeah, so the creative type person the artist the illustrator the musician the poet there's they suffer from this malady more than others yeah. why that is there's no good answer but but i mean and that's i mean think of like neil young lyrics you know like how depressing those are but how poetic you know i mean we're you know someone who's not depressed you know drives their car and listens to you know sad neil young music <laughs> yeah well there's there's this quote from some scientists who said uh, that happy people don't build civilizations right you know, happy people that are content with what they have, and there are the others who, who think that things could be better, things could be improved. All, obviously, there's the paradox, you know, those people will never be content with what they managed to build, right? Yeah. But I also wanted to touch about other uh, aspects we haven't uh, spoken of, the, the idea of sense of purpose because i think that when uh, i was invited by greg taylor to be a part of the daily grail and at first when he approached me and said do you want to be part of the team you know, my first reaction was no <gasps> no 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 thanks 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 you know i i i, I can't I, I i i i don't i don't want to but then he said well you know, think about it. You know, the the the, the invitation is open. You know, and we will be glad to. You know, if you came aboard, and I thought about it, and you know, that I went to. It was uh, the Christmas holidays. You know, New Year's 
New Year's Eve and, and I was uh, sitting all by myself in a hotel room with my parents in, in, in uh, a beach resort here in Mexico. And I say, what the heck, you know, let's do it. Which was just not like me, you know, because I'm, I'm the indecisive guy and this guy who, you know, always thinking of the worst case scenario. And I, I decided to, to jump and take the opportunity. And I think that was, that was my Prozac, you guys. I mean, that was the best mm. decision that I've made in my entire life. And also, thinking about it, I think that also in, m greatly improved into uh, the way that, uh, that, that, it, that I used to be. You know, I, I, I used to suffer for, from greater episodes of depression before the, uh, I, I took the job on the Daily Grail. And after that, the depression episodes still came, but they were less severe. You know, it was like, holy, holy hell, I managed to found my purpose in life. You know, like, like I found my, my, my tribe. I found people who, who were interested in the same things that I, that I, that I was interested in. And I felt that I was, that I was doing what I was supposed to do, you know, that, that I was kind of like fulfilling my job and i feel mike that similar to to the things that you have spoken of you know this the sense of mission that you and and other people who have experienced uh, you know the, the the contact scenario that you be you you being you felt driven by this sense of purpose the sense of mission and maybe after you to accept that sense of mission and do that you embark on it that kind of like helps you to deal with the depression stuff. I'm perhaps, and I have, I've been very fortunate to have a number of jobs that, that felt very rewarding. Um, and I can, and I'll say straight up, you know, like, uh, you know, like, listen, you want to, you want to road, you want to, walk down the path of poverty, you write a UFO book and, and you will like, <laughs> so, or you write for a, yeah, or for a paranormal news. You know? Yeah. Yeah. There's no, I mean, it's so, yeah. So there's, um, but at the same time, you know, like I get these wonderful letters and it's very heartening. So I get no, everything we value in our country can be like summed up in a spreadsheet with a dollar sign on, you know, on it and everything that, I value, I mean, obviously I have to eat and stuff like that, but, um, sure. but I feel like I'm just, I just feel like I'm living this, you know, I'm broke. I'm like in credit card debt and I, and I am doing that in order to finish the second book. And, but I, but I like, I get, it's, just, it's like opening my email and it's like reading the letters that people send to me is so heartening. I feel blessed and I am proud of myself that I freaking, you know, went way, way, way out on a limb to write what I wrote and to say what I've been saying over on this blog because people, for the most part, are responding in this really amazing way. And I, and now, in, in on a, you know, the next step is I have a responsibility to these people. Sure. You know, like, I have a responsibility. It's, it's impossible. I just get a lot of, and I'm like, it's a little book. I'm not, I'm not, you know, it's, I mean, I when, what Whitley Streeper went through and he, I mean, I'm just getting, a you know, a trickle of stuff coming in, but it's, it's keeps me busy. These, these accounts that come in, mm -hmm. people ask for their, for my help and I'm not a therapist and I offer what I can, but yeah. So, so I am, I feel like I am leading a rewarding life because 
of my, you know, what you just said, you know, like, oh, what the hell, right? You know, screw it. I'm going to do this, you know, like I'm going to do a podcast and screw it. I'm going to like use my real name and go online. It's the stupidest thing I could have ever done. And, but it was really, I mean, in the big picture, I'm like, I'm like fascinated how, how buoyant my life is because of it. And it's weird, weird, weird. I can't, and I got to like, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm hearing stories that are way, way, way outside the boundaries of, of like normal conversation. And I think a lot of that does come down to what is life all about? Like, why are we here? Does any of this stuff matter when we die? And I suspect it probably does, you know, and in the same way that, yeah. you know, this is, I mean, the life review that I've heard in, in these, I've read, I've, I haven't immersed myself too deeply in the in the lore of the near death experience literature, but but enough to know that you know there's this kind of like oh you know like wow this is how interesting that this was important and and I impacted other people and yeah so mm-hmm. well you know there was uh and I'm trying to remember where I heard it but I was I heard somewhere that the life review only happens in the near death experience not in the actual death experience oh. and I thought well that that's kind of interesting. It's it's there in the near death experience to kind of get you back on track, cool. you know. But with with the death experience, it's not necessary. You know, when you actually die, you don't need the life. That I, there's a logic to that, and it seems like someone smarter than us is kind of like you know setting the you know writing the rules on the on the on the back of the you know the game box there. So yeah. <laughs> Um, if I remember right, Seth's, Seth's version of what happens when you die was that you, uh, you get to look at all the possibilities in your life, you know, and see what would have happened had you chose different things. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean, that's the big question, isn't it? I mean, what's, you know, I mean, who are we? Why are we here? What does it all mean? I mean, that doesn't get any simpler than that. No. And that's the same questions that would have plagued the cavemen when the sun went down. (laughs) And the, uh, and, and, and I, and I always have that, that. You know, because because life is is linear to us, it always drives me crazy to go like, what would have happened had I done that different? Like, would I be better off or worse off? I mean, I look at it as, you know, I don't really regret things because I'm happy with my life, but I'm still curious. You know, I wish there was a way to find out. I know this is sounds kind of crazy, but I sometimes feel that I get glimpses from other lives, parallel mm. lives of myself, in dreams, like the idea, you know, if, if you accept the, the concept of the multiverse, and the idea that there's, you know, that an infinitude of versions of ourselves, you know, that doing different, maybe very similar things to what we're doing right now, or drastically different things. Sometimes I wonder if there's a way in which you can, you know, connect to those uh, alternative versions of you. And see, you know, what you were, what you will be doing if you had, you know, turned right instead of left back in that, you know, crossroads that you faced, mm-hmm. you know, in your past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the stuff of, you know, poetry in a way. Yeah. There's no way to know. And in, a, in, in reflecting on it and, and struggling with it, the question then arises, you know, like, you know, what happens when you get to the next crossroad in your life now? I mean, you can't change the past. So, like, how are you going to deal with the next crossroads you come to? And I just I just encourage folks to be bold. I worked with a lot of uh, youth, college age, and that was kind of a, something I would just say, like, be bold. Come on. You know, do something. You barely go after it. Grab it. You know, so and I don't always yeah. live that lesson. Yeah. Yeah. I think 
I think it's impossible to always live that lesson because you look at it sometimes you go, okay, well, the consequences of failing here are pretty severe. Yeah. Or you take or the, or the job itself is so monumental. Yeah. Yeah. The task um, at hand. Yeah. Yeah. So, but sure. at the same time, yeah. Then I mean, whatever you, hopefully you pick the appropriate thing to, to be bold with. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> As someone who has spent most of his life avoiding failure, I can tell you that, you know, it is far more depressing living that way, you know, risking and, you know, suffer, suffering from that uh, is really not that uh, hurtful in retrospect. So, so why do you think you've, you've lived in that, in that way? Out of cowardice. <laughs> Simple as that, you know. That but yes, but those, of, are, but those are that. real emotions. Sure, but out of our, our, our want to live out of your comfort zone, mm. you know, that's uh, being afraid of the, the, the great beyond, you know, like, you know, a, a little turtle that's just been hatched and, you know, you, you manage to you reach the, 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 the shore of the beach and then you see the great big ocean before you and, and, and you think, you know, oh my God, you know. What's going to be there in store for me? You know, all these creatures that are going to eat me and uh, I'm just a little turtle. And you wait and you wait and you wait until, you know, you probably die <laughs> of the, of, of the uh, dehydration or, or, you know, you're, being, you're eaten by a seagull. It's, 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 a very, it's a very normal human thing, I feel. And that's the way that people, human beings are infinitely malleable. Human beings are willing to go through you know, uh, really incredible things in order to not to face that idea of leaving their comfort zone. Even even a, a horrible job will be comforting if it's predictable in its routine. True. Yeah, yeah, and I think that yeah, the routine is is it's nice to have a routine. I mean, you know, like I like my coffee just a certain way in the morning and everything like that. But at the same time, true, true. you know, you have to you have to. You know, that's how to say it. I was like the, 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 you know, the ship is safe in the harbor, right? But the ship was not built for the harbor. The ship was built to like deal with the ocean waves. So it's got to leave the harbor. It sure is comforting. And I love being in the harbor sometimes, but then you have to, you're going to have to go out and crash in the ocean waves sometimes. Yep. Hmm. Um, see myself, I like constant change, but I like, you know, within limitations. Like if, if one of the things that will depress me is if thing, if new things don't come along on a pretty regular basis, like I can't even keep my desktop backgrounds the same. I have background switchers on all my stuff because <laughs> I need to have constantly different things, preferably not in my control. So they just kind of like pop up, you know, it's like, oh, well, that's cool. I haven't seen that picture ever before. And at the same time, I think people could live very rewarding lives, you know, like there's like, you know, like in the era before the, uh, the car. I mean, if you lived in a little village in, you know, Portugal, you may never leave that village. You may be born, exactly. raised, die yeah. in that village. And and uh, but at the same time, there's a that's like the mythology of that era was always the adventure of leaving the village and going to the next kingdom and, you know, crossing mm -hmm. over the you know the mountain pass or crossing the ocean. And so there's, yeah. So I mean, I'm certain that could be very powerful and very rewarding to, 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 to live in that village. And in a way. You know, I mean, I mean, we're all kind of on the fringe of this stuff. We're all doing this kind of esoteric research, and we're all doing it at a very public forum. Um, yep. And that, you know, we, I mean, we could all we have an electronic world now, and a publishing world, and a podcasting world where we can we can 
have a, you know, we can be a little ripple in a great big pond and have an impact. And I think that, I think that honestly, I think that the podcasting and, and the internet and the availability of this kind of information, I mean, I just feel like since the internet has arrived, people are vastly more accepting of, you know, like really weird stuff, you know, my, you know, like just Mm -hmm. whether it's yoga or meditation or, or UFOs or, or ghost hunting, you know, it's kind of sloppy, obviously, but, but the internet, this electric medium has allowed us to leave our village in ways that we never could have before. I I think the downside is sometimes it makes people too kind of gullible on some of this stuff. That's the challenge, isn't it? I mean, that's the, that's the razor wire. That's the razor you have to walk, you know? I mean, if you, if you're, if you're too stoic and don't want to address any of the weird stuff, then you're, you know, you're on one side. And if you're too gullible and address everything, then you're on the other side. This is a balancing act and there's no right answer for where that lies, you know? True. Yeah. True. So, so what if it's a mess? You know what I mean? I think that that's a, you know, that's, I mean, whatever. I, I love going to the UFO conferences and, and, and listening to people's stories. I mean, Cynthia Crawford just died. She was a wonderful, sweet, big hearted woman. Um, and she was, she was, I did an interview with her. She's, she did, she was the ET sculpture and she would do these sculptures and she would just look you straight in the eye and she would just say, I channeled the Lemurians when I made this sculpture and people, you know, and she would just, she was, but she was radiant and, and like in a funny way, like, you know, that's the red pill, isn't it? I mean, that's mm-hmm. the, that's the placebo in a way. I mean, I have no idea whether she's has these real experiences. What I can say is she was a delight to be near. She had a wonderful glow about her and, mm. Yeah. people resonated with her so that's the same thing like you know going to the to the you know doing some sort of medical uh you know testing some sort of new drug and then you know like oh here's a special pill and you get the sugar pill and then you're cured i mean that's like the that's the mystery of it isn't it you know like the one third sure. of the people like have great beneficial results from the sugar pill so and and that also speaks to you know how much our mind has control of our reality you know, any, any placebo does. As does, yeah. That's like the Lemurians are, you know, here to, you know, sh- shepherd us into a new age, you know, and then you feel good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, but obviously the, the, the hardest path is the path of, you know, uncertainty. Accepting the fact that you may never get uh, the answers that you are hoping to get. And, you know, and, and I'm I feel- at the yeah. Sorry, I feel that's the path that, you know, the true mystics choose to, to tread on, you know, like, I don't know, uh, Mother Teresa or, or, or whatever, you know, the, 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 the ones that don't fall for the easy answer, answers, you know, the, oh, the, the Lemurians, the Pleiadians, or it's just bunk. It's the idea of, you know, keep walking, keep walking, because it's all illusion. It's all illusion. It's just, you know, trying to get there and uh, it, it, you will despair because you will not see you know an end to it you know you will see an infinite horizon and i feel that is kind of like the essence of the concept of the the spiritual dark night of the soul you know the feel that Mm. it never ends you only have yourself to keep going but you must keep going yes and that's the the shamanic the shaman sickness i mean this is a little bit simplified but you know the young boy or girl in the tribe that goes through a crisis, a spiritual crisis, and 
we could say that's depression. We could call it by any number of names. That's just turning inward. Uh, and they, and oftentimes there's a near death experience. I can't tell you how many like people, people I've talked to who are shamans and have had, have died, um, okay. you know, had the real, you know, like the, the classic, you know, like, you know, like they are like, Oh my God, it's so beautiful. I want to stay. And then the voice says, Nope, you got to go back. You got work to do. <laughs> They're back in their bodies. And so that work in essence you know, whether it's a uh, metaphoric death through, you know, through depression and, and reemergence into the land of the living or a f- literal death of a near death experience. And these people then go on to be shamans. And, and uh, that fascinates me. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. This um, idea that, I don't know, that life is too hard, you know, and, 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 and you, you, there's a time when you say, you know, I'm out of here. I want. I want out. You know, it's too hard. I can't take it anymore. The concept of well, you know, you chose it. You know, you chose to be. You know, in in this video game of life, and and you chose the the the, the level of difficulty. That this is something that I I, I remember reading in Whitless River's book, The Key. You know, more or less. You know. And, the idea that the souls are are living in this infinite realm. The only way they can get more uh, perfected in, in in bliss is by uh, descending into an imperfect state, which is you know our reality, because which is kind of like saying, okay, yeah, I'm, cho- I'm going to choose living in this video game called Earth, <laughs> and because I want to you know level up as more as I can, I'm going to choose this level of difficulty. And maybe some souls say, no, 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 I, I don't want to. I, I want to, to play in casual mode, you know. So I'm I'm going to be rich. I'm going to be, you know, Paris Hilton. I'm going to be, I don't know, uh, Jack Nicholson, whatever. And other souls, maybe they're more daring, you know. They say, no, I'm, I'm going to choose living in Bangladesh or I'm going to choose living mm. in Somalia. You know, I, I, maybe some people will say this is just, you know, a very stupid way to rationalize suffering in this world but i think about it i think about you know i i feel there's something to that concept and and not not to sound like a broken record here but that's basically what seth says (laughs) that uh we are basically uh we choose our lives you know like he was talking to someone in an esp class that that jane would give because she would have let people just come for free and talk to seth and he would try and explain things to them he never claimed to be omniscient he just claimed to have a better angle a better view of our reality than we did Uh necessarily Uh um but you know they they he was talking about like someone losing a young child and he would say well that that child chose that that person reincarnated to give you this thing that you needed and it may seem like a horrible thing but in the end you gained something out of that even though you don't realize it and that's why they came back you know that's why they chose that they were never they never chose it to be here for any length of time and i feel like i have gained something from my clinical depression i have gained a sensitivity that i never would have had beforehand and you know it's been a like it's been a while since i've been severely depressed so i feel like i've distanced myself from that and i feel like i've lost a little of that sensitivity but i feel like i was a little mushy and overly sensitive for some of those the time um and yes but i feel like i am a better person now having been through my dark night of the soul which would have been 2000 or excuse me 1993 
Mm. Yeah, my, mine was late 90s, probably 98, 99. How old were you? I don't know, 27, 28. Yeah, I was 30. So, yeah, so that's very interesting. There's a little statistic that women tend to go through it about 25. Men mm. tend to go through it around 30, and that's that's a, that's a rough estimate. But mm. so, Well, you learn. I wonder why. You learn to uh, appreciate things. You know, I mean, you, 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 they're, they're, I know it's cliche and corny as hell, but there cannot be light without darkness you know you uh, i once heard in a podcast uh this um someone who was uh, talking about a book from a tibetan monk who came to america and who was one of the first people who were teaching um, about uh, eastern philosophy eastern mysticism how uh, among westerners we think about enlightenment as if it was some kind of a state of eternal bliss like oh you are in nirvana and if everything is wonderful it's like uh, i don't know a never-ending orgasm you know that that's why everybody wants to achieve it obviously but no the, the guys the guy said no enlightenment is realizing that you're lowest time you know the the, the time when that when life is hitting you the hardest you realize that it will soon pass and also realizing that when you are living through the greatest moment in your life you are also aware that it's also transitory enlightenment is being aware of the transience of life and that is something mm. that we you know we'll, we seldom think about because because what our our our, our western culture is always it's always driving us to hunt or to you know be you know uh, chasing that high you know be be always happy you know it's almost as happiness is becoming a chore in our life <laughs> and if you're not happy well you know you're some doing something wrong right and you feel bad about it and it's it's it's, it's terrible it's one, it's one of the reasons why we don't confront things like death in, in a proper way in our culture. You know, it's like people in Western culture may go most of their lives without seeing a death body. You know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's very rare in our society. Whereas in other cultures, you know, if your father or mother dies, and it's probably, you know, in other cultures is is far more frequent because they don't have maybe access to better uh medical treatments it's very uh, far more common to to face the death of someone close to you and you have the duty to prepare the body and uh, you know and give it the proper you know uh, burial rites and in, in in our culture death and an old age are you know the, the the things that we try to drive away we're scared to death about it you know that we're paranoid about it you know that we're trying to find a way out of it and and even the, the smartest the smartest people among us think that they, they can actually cheat death you know that the, the, all those you know uh, nerds in silicon valley who think that they will upload their consciousness in a computer mm -hmm. and they will attain immortality and that tells you something about our our state and our culture you know that if we were managed to say okay you know i'm 44 years old you know i don't know how much life i have left you know i might die next week if there's another big 
earthquake, and that's okay. If I manage to say that, you know, truthfully, because I'm not, you know, but if I manage to say that truthfully, that would be, you know, uh, far more sane, uh, far more healthy than the way that 99% of people conduct their lives in our society. If we, maybe if we've lost our, our, our fear of death, our, our culture will be far more more different and and it's for me it's interesting to see all those uh, experiments in which they give uh, psilocybin uh, doses to terminal patients and one of the things that that happens with that is that they lose their fear of death yeah and that is great but what if you did that to a 12 year old <laughs> you know what if you <laughs> took the fear of death to a 12-year-old. What will happen to that, you know, to a society in which that happened? Uh, that, that's, that's something that intrigues me. I, I, I feel like a lot of 12-year-olds are already not afraid of death and, <laughs> and do some pretty right. stupid things because of it. 12-year-old sure, boys, okay. yes. 12-year-olds. So, okay, so 30-year-olds. I guess, you know, there. I guess a 30 is when you're starting to think, okay, yeah, I guess I'm not immortal after all. Um, there was, uh, I'm, I'm sure you guys are familiar with the oatmeal comic, the web sure. comic. Yeah, yeah. And he had written a great thing, uh, basically commenting on how people kept telling him he needed to be happy. And he said, you know, I'm not happy, but I'm content. And, and he did it, of course, in comic form. And it was, just, it, but it was, it, it hit me very strongly because that's how I feel. It's not, I'm not really even looking to be happy per se. You know, I want to be content in what I'm doing. I want to feel like what I'm doing matters. Um, and that, that's kind of what he was getting at. He's, he's like, yeah, I may not be smiling. I may not be giddy and happy. He's like, but I like the way I am. You know, he's like, I like feeling like I feel that I'm, I'm content in doing what I'm doing. You know, I think happiness by and large is transitory. You're, no one's True. ever going to be happy all the time. Yeah. And so, so is sadness is transitory. And so, yes. Yeah. True. So you need that sort of contentment, that thing you can do that, that makes you feel okay. You know, you may not be super happy, but content is more important than happy. Yeah. Because if you're pursuing that high state all the time, I mean, it's like alcohol, you know, you, you, become, a, you become an alcoholic if you always want to feel that bus, you know. Mm -hmm. And also what happens, you know, that your, um, your body starts to become accustomed to that, you know, so just, so, uh, that buzz that you, you have with the first, uh, drink or two, it, you only get it, you know, after five or 10 drinks, you know? So right. it, it's, it's with everything, you know, you think about it, you know, it's with music, with sex, with whatever, you know, that, uh, fruitless pursuit of bliss uh it's wrong because what like you said you know if you don't understand that bliss is transitory that you know that 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 is you know like the 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 the, the beauty of bliss if you don't under, understand mm -hmm. that you're going to be miserable all your all of your life yeah if if, if if you were happy all the time, if you were blissed out all the time, you would have nothing to contrast it to. You would just be bored. Exactly. So, so th those lows teach us something. Mm -hmm. And and it's interesting because it's like, um, how to say this without, I mean, I feel like I recognize in certain situations that, that certain people have never been depressed and you, and you, and I recognize like, Oh, I can sense that this person has never been depressed. 
and they're they're viewing life a certain way they're viewing reality a certain way and it's a little less nuanced you know um at the same time i recognize just the opposite when people have been depressed you know there's there's a oh i mean i guess they you know they're kind of oh i don't want to say like a prisoner being released you know they've been knocked down a notch somehow mm. but there's they're also achieved something something in the human spirit that that can like a, a compassion that they may never have had let's maybe put it that way sure yeah yeah it's it some depression is not unhealthy i guess is it's kind of what you're saying i i'm saying yes some and perhaps into society some depression if it if it is if you if you wrestle with it and i feel like i i have I feel like I've done a lot of hard work in my own life. If you wrestle with it and and make peace with it and move beyond it, and it can then, um, I feel like I'm, I've said this before. I'm a better person now, and I recognize right. other people. I see the best side of them, in and it's often in a side where they have to dig into that you know that history of depression. Um, and when, when we get back to the whole shamanic sickness thing, um, there's, you know, that, that, that takes us back to the whole alien abduction thing. And I seriously wonder if what people are experiencing, and, and like I said, I feel is, is being so hijacked, is that step toward making people shamans. Like whatever, whatever is out there that is affecting things um, is getting kind of hijacked when, they, when people get hypnotized and it's creating false memories and a false narrative. Whereas if they followed it on their own, rather than um, looking to someone who, you know, may have their best interests at heart, but just be misguided, um, this may be an a, a attempted shamanic awakening of this person that then gets hijacked and moved in a different direction. And I and I've talked to a lot of people who've been hypnotized, and 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 I don't sense that so much. So um, yeah, but I but I know exactly the the concern you're addressing. Yeah, so I, I know well, that some people but, but, treat hypnosis as like a cure all, as far as like now I'll know the truth, and that really, um, uh, what's her name, uh, uh, Yvonne Smith, and I don't think she actually did this on purpose, but I she had a website, and and it was. You know, you would click on it, it would have the big letters, find the truth through hypnosis. And that just made mm. me cringe. And I don't know if she wrote that line or if some sort of um, eager marketing person, you know, <laughs> that was doing her webmaster had created that. So, Well, leaving aside the idea or, or this uh, suspicion that some hypnotherapists are, uh, would be leading the, the person under hypnosis to to a certain narrative, you know, through the questions they are asking them, you know, leaving aside that, what I fear is that hypnosis may be a, a way of rushing the person into trying to confront things that they are not ready to integrate but, into yeah. their consciousness. But so is ayahuasca and so is, you know, mushrooms and so is... You oh know. yeah, and, 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 it, and it is a grueling experience. You know, I mean, with ayahuasca, you you know, there there are people who say, "I'm I'm really glad to see it, to to have gone through it. I don't want to do it ever again." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. And, and but you know, like when we look at the grays, okay, so you get grays in ayahuasca trips. Uh, you have them painted on cave walls, which you know some people will interpret as ancient aliens, but it's more likely altered states of consciousness. Yep. And when you connect all that together, you know, like what what's really going on 
here? And what does it have to do with altered states? Because obviously some of the, the UFO phenomena is physical, that it's it's not just in an altered state, although a good portion of it may be. Agreed. Agreed. And, and I th- would say that, that being severely depressed is an altered state. Yes. True. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would say so too. Yeah. And being in a mania state is an altered state too, you know, where you're, where, you know, people who suffer from bipolar issues, you know, get this absolute irrational high. Yeah. yeah. And what uh, uh, experiencers, abductees, uh, they, most of them say is that what the most uh, harrowing part of the experience is confronting the eyes of the beings is because the eyes are like mirrors, right? It's almost like the eyes of the beings are mirrors that they are making the person confront parts of their psyche that are, they don't want to face, you know, like like uh, a mirror forcing you to confront your shadow. Yeah, and that is interesting. The eye thing is always interesting. Yeah. And not just with, with the whole uh, alien thing with the grays with the big eyes, but, you know, like the, the red-eyed monsters you get. Mm-hmm. Why red eyes? And there is no animal with glowing uh, red eyes that actually physically yeah. glow. There's certainly, if you shine a light. There's eye shine. There's eye shine. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. So that's very strange. And that's, I just remember like the little, uh, whatever, the little, uh, oh, funny beings that picked up. Luke Skywalker on the, you know, with the big giant sand crawler or something like that. Oh, the Jawas. Oh, the Jawas. They have the little glowing eyes. And I'm like, there's no animal that really has those glowing eyes. So, so I think that that's, you know, that's, um, uh, that's like an archetype almost. True. Yeah. But why, what, what is it about eyes that means so much to us? You know, there's, I mean, the eyes are the, the gateway to the, to the, I mean, they're connected right to the brain in a lot of ways. Yeah. Are the eyes are the window of the soul. Yeah. I mean, they're physically connected right to the brain, so. But is the brain the seat of the soul? That's a, you're, that's a good question. Depends on who you talk to. Yeah, I mean, the brain, you know, so are we, is the, is the brain just a television receiver tuning into some sort of cosmic, you know, collective wavelength? Mm-hmm. I, I, think it's a, I think the brain is a reality interpreter. Or a reality, what would you call it? Like where, where we have to filter out things. It's a reality filter because if we have our eyes and our mm-hmm. ears and our senses, mm-hmm. we should, on a, by all rights, be completely overloaded. Oh my God, I'm in this room. There's 10 million things in this room. There's like, <laughs> yeah. like I just I got to shut it all down. There's noises in the background. I, you know, I try to drive and there's how, how can you drive with like, oh my God, you got a dashboard, you got things speeding by, you've got, you know, like, but how do we manage? We're filtering out. That's how we manage it. So, yeah, yeah it's two things it's filtering out the a vast amount of data. So, we can focus on the task at hand a reality yep. modulator there we go there we go it may also project some of our reality true yeah yeah there was a uh, david weatherly was doing some research on the fellow i can't remember the author's name the author who wrote the shadow he wrote the little pulp fiction novels of the shadow the the the, the mystical crime fighter mm-hmm. who had gone to Tibet and learned to cast a shadow over, you know, over, over man's eyes, you know? So, and then, uh, but he wrote so many books, like a fantastic amount. And this is like an arrow book, you know, when you were typing on paper. Um, and so he was cranking these things out. So he was like, like, like in a physical headspace of just mm-hmm. creating this fictional character. And in his house, which is in New York City in Greenwich Village, the present owners, it's kind of considered a haunted house and it's not uncommon for these owners to see a, 
a, a figure with a fedora dressed like the fictional character of the shadow. So, did he manifest this out of pure intent, this this ghost apparition that now stalks the house? Yeah. What I'm fascinated about with uh, people who uh, study uh, patients with suffering with schizophrenia is that they, they have learned or they have been aware that uh, the phenomenon of hearing voices is different across uh, cultures or across countries. Where, uh, for really? ex- yeah, for example, people who hear voices in the United States, the voices tend to be very negative. The voices tend to be, yeah, kill, 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 you know, you know, hurt your neighbor or set your house on fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas someone hearing voices in India, <laughs> the voices will be telling them, you know, now it's a good time to clean the house, you mm. know? So in some countries, the voices are, you know, telling messages of, you know, hurting people, or hurting themselves. In other countries, the voices are giving actually good advice or, or advice about, you know, clean yourself or, 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 you know, call your mother because you haven't called her in a while. So that to me is interesting. The idea of, 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 of you, how you're, like you were saying, you know, you, your, your mind is maybe interpreting the world and your mind may be, maybe also, you know, giving you other uh, hints or interpretations about the world and in our in our culture in our western culture you know it's uh, maybe it's a, it's a, a result of, of like i say how toxic how toxic it is yeah. this extra input is just you know also toxic the, the what is the extra input that you may you know people oh. the uh, uh, schizophrenics if you are going away with the idea that the brain is uh you know uh, radio receiver you know then the schizophrenics may be people who are not able to turn down the dial you know the volume dial a notch mm-hmm. now they're receiving all the information at full length and and, <laughs> and and the way that they cope with it it's different you know some people cope with it in a, in a very negative way you know which is you know people who are trying to hurt themselves or hurt each other whereas some people you know maybe may use that in a positive way and 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 maybe if we go back to the shamanic model you know there are cultures who manage to recognize that and to realize that that person is uh is being called to perform a very special duty and that it is the duty of the village to try to help that person to go through that, you know, crisis, you know, in order to uh, go and, 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 and go through their shamanic uh, trials, you know, it's like the book uh, Black, El- Black Elk Speaks, you know, the, the, this kid who had this dream of the, uh, that was interpreted by the village and the, the whole village was trying to help, help him, you know, in, uh, understand the dream and they all... Uh, do their did their part in order to recreate the dream for the child you know and the child and that the dream turned out to be kind of like prophetic you know it was a, a dream about the, the the coming of the uh, westerners you know to 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 the lands of native americans so how much of our current issues with depression uh, might be queued up to being spiritual issues i feel a great deal 
you know i mean i feel it's more of a spiritual problem more than a chemical uh, you know n- uh, chemical uh, brain imbalance you know we talk about in biology we talk about uh, suffering from bacteriological or or virus infections you know what about spiritual infections and i know that kind of sounds like scientology with the cold feet and things although mm-hmm. those that idea itself tends to be replicated or or or, or it's similar to the beliefs of other cultures so you know maybe l ron hubbard you know took that hijacked that and use well, probably to, yeah to exploit their people and say yeah if you if, if you pay me five thousand dollars a month i'm gonna give rid you of those you know spiritual viruses that are you know plaguing you i mean he did he did steal a lot of stuff uh you know working with parsons and stuff sure. you know was connected with crowley mm-hmm. you know as far as um if the is it a spiritual issue you know so my sense is you know, yes, you can take a blood test. You can, well, actually, it's a it's a it's a very difficult test to give to test someone's uh, levels of oh, what's the what's the stuff in your brain. Um, it's done serotonin? through a, Ser- serotonin. Ser- it's a serotonin yeah. levels. It's very difficult to do a serotonin. You have to go through the spinal tap of some sort because it's in your brain chemistry and your spinal fluid. So that's in its own little special sac. So it's a little difficult to and painful to actually get the numbers. But yes, people have a physiological chemical imbalance that can be registered in a in you know using technologies like microscopes and and such um what what i feel so you're confronted with a real physiological thing the same a head injury right so to the football players getting severely depressed they're you're mm-hmm. having brain injuries and then they end up shooting themselves with a gun in the heart and their mm-hmm. you know their suicide note says dissect my brain so so Nobody else has to go through this. Um, uh, you're confronted with a physical ailment. True. And you then go down the avenue, uh, a spiritual avenue. You are led grudgingly, unwittingly through, sometimes just through sheer uh, exhaustion of, of trying everything else. You, I feel like many people go through a spiritual change because of their physical malady and i'm certainly well, could it I'm, be the opposite sometimes could it be that uh, a spiritual malady you know gives a way to uh, a, a chemical reaction in the brain you know the idea of of how your mind affects your own physiology i mean it's kind of like a chicken and egg the conundrum yes I, I, that's a perfect way to put it it's a chicken and egg conundrum but there is a very powerful spiritual component to the whether it's it may not be apparent to the person suffering from in the depths of depression mm-hmm. but to the people who work hard they're going to they are going to have to look the spiritual issue they're going to have to address the spiritual issue mm, okay okay and if they don't and then if they don't then i mean maybe I, whatever i'm saying i'm using myself as an example so i'm talking sure. to high and mighty here and and i'm and i'm talking about myself so yes i wrestled with this stuff i've spent years and years and years on prozac i spent as i said earlier i spent years being the depressed guy that was my identity i was the depressed guy you know 
go on a long walk with me. It was going to come up and I was going to talk your ear off, you know, about my problems. And then, um, and I had to go down the spiritual avenue. And mm-hmm. like the Seth material, I went down through channeled books about God, which I just seems like I never would have thought that. And I and I don't have any real belief in God in that kind of way, any kind of churchy mm-hmm. way. And um, but uh, there is a, and then here it gets even weirder. And like like and then I like it was after all that. It was after all my depression issues, struggling with it, coming out the other end that I am then hit with the UFO stuff. Felt mm-hmm. like this and if I if if there was like a scriptwriter of reality, I would say the stage was set, right? So act 1, Mike gets depressed. Act 2, Mike gets over his depression. Act 3, the really weird stuff, you know. Now he has to deal with this UFO stuff. That's way oversimplified, but I, but I recognize that 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 plays out as a sort of as a sort of linear narrative. So I guess we could say, you know, I mean, it's not like we're saying, oh, don't go to see a a therapist, a licensed therapist, don't go and and take Prozac, because you, Mike, you you, you certainly uh, took a benefit out of it. It's, I think that what what we're saying is, yeah, I mean, this helps, this kind of uh, medicines helps to get you into a certain um, level of clear-mindedness. But then when you reach that clear mind, it's, it's when you need to do other work. And that's when you need yeah. to go into the kind of spiritual work that will actually help you to get rid of the root of the depression, you know, because otherwise mm-hmm. you're just treating the symptoms, which is, you know, just like the way, you know, Western medicine tends to do you know yes we think that if you you take away the symptoms you you cost you 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 uh cure the malady and that's not the case you know because you need to go to the root of the problem and that root uh will lead you to you know facing very difficult uh and very you know strange uh avenues of yourself of confronting things that you may maybe you didn't want to confront you wouldn't you know you you felt that you know you weren't ready to but you will need to do it any at some time and this is something that i that, that i feel is important you guys you feel you need to at one point uh be part of a community that you know uh, go and build uh, uh, some kind of like uh, relationships with people who are going through the same thing or who are have uh, are are of the same interests and those people mm-hmm. will become a, a safety net the, the, those people will help you uh, deal with those with those aspects you know that the, they will be the, the people that Hold your hand when you are uh, trying to, you know, find your way through the darkness, you will. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and, and the fact that we have the internet also kind of kind of helps in that respect. Oh, yeah. Because you can reach out to the internet. I mean, granted, there, there are certain places you don't want to reach out where you're going to get trolled. But uh, overall, <laughs> you can reach out and, you know, hopefully get some response back, you know, some support. And I think of like, you know, where the bartender, you know, from from decades ago may have played a role, mm. you know, or where the, yeah. you know, or where, you know, I mean, the church, the bartender, the, 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 
who knows? I mean, I, 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 what I think about also is that I think people suffered terribly because of the stigma of this. And, uh, and yep, I'm just yes. wondering how many alcoholics or drug addicts or, or reclu- recluses, you know, were suffering from something that could have been treated. Sure. Absolutely. Because if you're, if that, that stigma makes people not want to talk. Yeah. And it was, it was considered just, it was not polite dinner conversation to talk about this. And now I feel like it is a little more accepted and the stigma has come down many notches might be uncomfortable, yeah. but, but it's, it's the stigma is much lessened now. And I'm grateful and glad to be living now in this era struggling with this and we never could have had this conversation there was no such thing as podcasts uh, you know 15 years ago so this so we wouldn't have been able to do it anyway but um but yeah this would have been a very difficult conversation to have so frankly um you know 20 30 years ago yeah that's true let alone 50 years ago well i mean and there are a lot of people and there still are who you know if you if they hear that someone's depressed they're like well just shake it off you know get back to things and it's like okay when you don't care about anything you're not shaking it off. Yeah. But they don't get that because unless you've experienced that feeling, you don't know the depths of like despair that it, that it leaves you with. Yeah. Yeah. I remember even I just was like, at the time I was just living in Maine and I was very depressed and I was living alone and, and uh, I called up the psychiatrist or the psychologist that I was working with and it was not the day of the week that I was supposed to come and visit. And basically I was saying like, this is dangerous right now it's bad. And he kind of said, well, you know, get out and try to get a little exercise. He said, swing your arms when you walk. That'll, that'll you know, get a little more. <laughs> I was like, oh, swing my arms when I walk. That'll, that'll shake me out of it. <laughs> and now we've cured depression. So, yeah. I just remember thinking like, God, here's like the, here's like the therapist that's supposed to like, you know, be my, he was a nice enough guy, but I just remember him saying, swing your arms when you walk. And I was oh, I think it's a little beyond oh, that God. at this point. So <laughs> I was basically saying I was suicidal, you know, in, you know, in, right. And, uh, and that was the advice I got. So Wow. Did it work? I never went for a walk. No, I probably just sat on the couch and stared at the wall and, you know, felt miserable. So I was going to say, cause you're still here. I so said something worked. Work. Yeah. So, and, uh, yeah. And honestly, this is, this is crappy and it's like, but I, but, um, I like, I think about like, why didn't I commit suicide? I wrote a nine page essay. Uh, I got depressed and it was the worst in 1993 and probably around 1996, four years later, like, and this was very therapeutic for me. I wrote a nine page essay and there's probably five people on earth who've read that essay and it is grim <laughs> and a couple of them have, are, are uh, therapists and they were like they read it and like wow kind of impressed you made it through that and and uh, mm. uh, but yes so I don't know the reasons I made it through it I don't know I do not know the reasons why I didn't commit suicide but I didn't and and uh, you know this is gonna this is like uh, more like the, the 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 therapist couch you know kind of thing but I feel like I the the one of the maladies is that you have an irrational fear of a feeling of guilt. And I felt like I deserved that guilt for absolutely irrational reasons. There's no, I did not deserve the guilt. I didn't do anything wrong, but there was this balance like, you know, like, Oh, I, I feel bad and I deserve to feel bad. So the more I feel bad, the more I deserve to feel bad. And it was this, this, 
this tape loop that was so toxic, but somehow I survived it. So mm. I don't know if I, I it's, I, it's I probably, you know, that's now we're getting to the really uncomfortable stuff where everyone has the right to kind of like, you know, say, yikes, let's change the subject. <laughs> but, but that, that, but that is something people experience. They have that feeling like nobody cares about them. No one loves them. Why would they, uh, they're horrible people, but they're not. And it, it doesn't come from a place of like logic. No, 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 no. Yeah, I just think you'd leave certain valves turned off for too long, you know, like whatever that might be, whether it's the brain chemistry pumping through your, you know, through your spinal fluid just gets shut off. And and then it just, your your mind has no choice but to to build these narratives. Yeah, yeah. And those narratives can get bleak, yeah. Oh, yeah. Hmm. And luckily you made it through. Now, now, Red Pill, have you ever used any medication for your depression? Yeah, well, I told you, you know, I tried uh, antidepressives for a little while. But the fact that they were so expensive that I couldn't afford them made me more depressed. <laughs> so <laughs> Fair at, at one point I said, well, screw it, you know, <laughs> I won't use them anymore. And uh, maybe it was a good the choice on my part because uh, I see... Uh, probably shouldn't say this i see a, someone who is very close to me who is related to me uh who has become way too dependent on, on antidepressants and i personally you know don't see any improvement from them you know, on, on on her or, or on on that person and uh that's why, you know, I, I, like I said, I don't want to be like the Tom Cruise and say, yeah, well, you know, the, 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 uh, psychiatry is uh, horse manure and there's nothing to that. But I do feel that, uh, I don't know, maybe it's kind of like uh, less Prozac, more Plato, you know, like the idea that, yeah, the, the, the medicine can be... A good crutch if you are, you know, if you broke your leg, but if you mm-hmm, mm-hmm. become too dependent on them, you know, then you will never be able to walk again, you know, on your own. You know, that you need to get get off the crutch at some time, uh, and you know, and, and put your feet on the ground and try to walk on your own. Which is why it probably worked for Mike because you you got off of it. Well, seven years. <laughs> yeah, so but you still got, I got off, off of it. it. But I mean, it was like I mean, I think I could have gotten off of it sooner. Like looking back at it now, and I and I definitely I remember like being freaked out. You know, like when the you know well actually it's interesting because the the drugs that I were on Prozac in particular has a sort of long half life. So if you if you stop yeah. taking Prozac, it takes like it just like slowly 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 dims down and then you you lose the effects and that takes about two weeks so yeah. that's building so you have plenty of time to get to the you know the drugstore and get some more but i remember i knew i remember that feeling of like oh god i kept like you know traveling and like shoot i fucked up i, I forgot my you know and and how panicky that felt yeah so i understand that feeling um yeah and it was it was real so, um, yeah, I mean, people, like I said, there's so many people who, who suffer from this. Uh, when I made a post about being slightly depressed, which is what started this whole thing, um, you know, my, de- my depression at the time was hit by a number of bad things all kind of connecting at once and making me feel just like absolutely like, how am I going to get out of this mess? You know, it's just like one thing after another slamming into me. But that, that, that's more of a cause and effect sort of depression. Um, sure. 
But as I, as I said, I've felt, and since then, I've just hit periods of depression off and on the last few weeks, and they're not severe, but they're enough where I'm just like, I don't care about doing anything right now. You know, and it's like I have to kind of fight through it and be like, I got to do something. If I start doing something, I'll feel a little bit, even if it's playing a video game, you know, which sometimes remarkably does does great things because you get kind of lost into playing the video game, even if you don't care at first. And, uh, but you know, the, the, it's not always possible to do that, to pull yourself out of it. And I, and I had, um, like my darkest was the December of 1992. So the winter of 92, 93. And it was, and I, and I've looked back at the calendar and my diary and my, it was like my, my, my work diary, but, and it was the darkest day, like the darkest day before I, when I went to the, to the doctor was December 21st, the winter solstice. Like I went Mm. to the doctor on the winter solstice. It's like, couldn't be more textbook that it was based on the sunlight. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not a fan of sunlight. That's, that's not my issue. Oh, you have to take a a bit of those of uh, mescaline in order to appreciate the sunlight, (laughs) Soraya. (laughs) For the last two years, uh, well, no, that's uh, that's wrong. I've 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 gone two years to a, a ritual ceremony in which you know the sacrament is uh, peyote, and you know you feel that you're not really getting anything out of it. You know, not really any transcendental thing about the universe. But when the sun rises, you know, it's uh, that's the thing that's worth the trouble of the whole thing, you know, and, and that's when you see, you see the world anew, you know, you see the world with different eyes. That's, that's one of the really things that I, I get out of that, you know. Hmm. That's interesting. I've just always been a fan of the darkness. <laughs> well, the darkness is cool, you know. I mean, the the, the stars, you know. The, the, if you manage to see, uh, you go to a place where there are a lot of stars, and that's from a, a person who lives in one of the most polluted cities in the world. If you get to see <laughs> more than five stars in the night sky, it's like, wow, you know. So probably, <laughs> if if I went to a place where I could actually see the Milky Way, I'll, I'll probably think that I died and, and you know and I'm having a near death experience <laughs> and I just I just spent uh, almost two weeks uh, working for a guide service in the Sierra Mountains of California and every single night I slept out under the stars and boy we were at high elevations and you sure could see the Milky Way the stars were oh. phenomenal and then I and I treat that and I talk about that in the in the owl book I treat Sleeping on the ground under the stars is an act of abandonment. It is a spiritual act for me. Hmm. The uh, I've always, I don't know, I've always been a night person. I've always felt more connected to the night. But I also like the fact, like, it, it, it's something about being awake when most of the world's asleep, or at least, you know, the hemisphere. Uh, it's not as true now as it was years ago because more and more people stay up late and, you know, don't, don't go to sleep early. But there's just something about being awake when everyone else is asleep that I kind of enjoy. Yeah, yeah, and I like it. I mean, it's I've changed. My life has changed in the last decade or so, and I get up much earlier than I ever did before. And and that's the same thing. I love getting up that that like watching the sun come up. In fact, that's one of the rituals I had on this trip. And there was a few people, and I would say, "Listen, what we're going to do? We're going to get up at five a.m. and we're going to make coffee and we're going to watch the sunrise here in the mountains." And and it was magical. It was so wonderful. Hmm. So a few people would we'd all sit around and we'd freezing cold it was cold 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 and the clear skies and 
Mm. So make a little cup of coffee in a little camp stove and watch the sun come up. It was just, just so wonderful. I had a, nice. a very crappy job last year, you know, that uh, forced me to go and, and, and wake up at 5.30 in the morning try to uh, go and, and drive to my commute uh, 7.30 at the latest. I was her- horrible. The only thing good about it is, you know, trying to see that exactly the idea of seeing the sunrise, you know, and a very, very clear uh, sky mm. when the city is just waking up. And if you had the chance to see uh, Mount Popocatepetl and Ixtlacihuatl, you know, the, the two volcanoes that are, you know, like facing the, the, the city of Mexico. And if you manage to see that, you know, on the rising sun, that, that made the, the whole horrible thing of waking up at that ungodly hour worthwhile. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. I lived in New York City for a while, and I remember I would work for a film, doing film stuff, where I had to get up very early to get to the set on time. And I was doing, like, you know, making coffee and stuff. It wasn't that glamorous. But um, uh, but that was a magical... So here's this big, dirty city in the 80s, New York City, and, and it was magical that time of the morning, Let's, you know, with sun coming up in the summer. And again, not a ton of people around. No, we have a busy, crowded city that felt all empty. Yeah, I've... Uh Anytime I have to go to New York City, I've had to pick people up in New York City. I always go in the middle of the night, and it's just, it's a really interesting feeling because it's, you know, yeah, it's this massive city, and there's there's no one around. Yeah, depending on what neighborhood you're in, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, obviously. Um, but you can go through Manhattan and see almost nobody. Yeah. You know, there's there's a car here and there. And again, I like that feeling. Yeah. It's almost a feeling of isolation. Well, I think anyone loves, there's something poetic about it, sure. It's a Neil Young song, Waiting to be Written, that kind of thing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So um, I, guess, I guess one of the important things is what other advice can we give people who are dealing with depression? Is there anything else we have not suggested that we should? Um, I mean, first of all, like just, you know, don't misuse the term depression. You know, if sometimes people say like, oh, I'm feeling kind of depressed. And I'm like, like, uh, you, like you're, you're you're just stressed out, you know, and, um, and, and stress can certainly lead to depression, but there's a, just do the little online 10 questions. Usually if you answer, you know, yes to six or more of these questions, you're, you know, showing signs of clinical depression, you know, and that, Mm -hmm. that's just, that's a, that's an easy way to start. I would say, see a clinician, someone you trust, and it can be someone kind of far out too. I mean, there's I, I, someone you trust and someone you have a rapport with, because I've had some some people I've talked to that I'd had no rapport at all with and I made no headway at all. Um, and then, you know, I just... And, 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 the, and the thing is, there are good therapists and bad therapists. Just oh, yeah. There are good doctors, good dentists, etc. You just got to find the right... The one path. that fits your needs, yeah. So the one you have a rapport with. Yeah, and... And the one who seems to actually care and isn't just, you know, doing it to make money off. Yeah. Uh, if, if you walk in and the first thing they do is, let's see what drugs we can we can give you. you and know? that's actually what psychotherapy has turned to in a lot of ways, you know, and I've had conversations with, yeah, you know, like that's, yeah. you know, and then, and then if, and from my point of view, like if, if, if you try and you know, I, if you feel you need to go on medication, go on medication, but just recognize that it's a temporary thing and do your best to, to, to make headway while on the medication. This is, this is coming from my own direct experience. 
I made very good headway initially, and then I stayed on the medication years too long. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, another advice is, you know, you have to reach out to uh, people around you, you know, family, friends, you know, you have to have that kind of like safety net, social safety nets. Uh, don't feel afraid to, you know, uh, ask for help. You know, that I guess that the, the number one thing that you hear about people who committed suicide is that the people around them is, oh, I, I didn't know that, you know, he was, he or she was going through that. Because mm-hmm. people who are really serious about, you know, committing suicide, they don't talk about it. You know, they, they, they're the, they are the quiet ones. So, you know, try to reach out, you know, the, you are not as alone as, as, as you think you are. And another thing is like, like, like Mike said, you know, that this kind of thing is probably more common among people who have some kind of creative strike. And I feel that yeah. it is the result of not being able to express that side of yourself. So try to find a way to express that side of yourself. And it can be anything. It can be through music, you know, playing the guitar, uh, playing the harmonica, you know, singing in, in, in your, you know, your bath, in, your, in the rain, when, while you're commuting, uh, drawing, doodling, you know, you buy a, a, a notebook, you know, buy a pen and, and, and start doodling. And, uh, or anything that can help you try to, uh, unleash that what you feel that is bottling up and if it's bottling up long enough it might fester inside of you and that's not what you want to do to happen no and and talk to people don't be afraid to talk to people because more people like i said it's almost epidemic in this country that people are depressed so i mean chances are if you if you open up you know, I guess it depends on your on your circle of friends, but chances are you're going to find other people who go, oh, yeah, yeah, I understand. And you're going to be able to maybe talk to them a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. But the worst thing you can do is just keep it all bottled up. Yeah. Because that way you're, you're not, it's never getting out. You're not going to feel better about it. You, you really have to, you know, take that chance and reach out. I mean, what do you got to lose if you're that depressed, really? Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, another good uh, advice is uh, going to nature, right? Uh, yes. I, I live in <laughs> one of the biggest cities in the world, but I there's a, uh, a place near where I live in which I can go and there are trees, you know, and go and taking a, a, a walk th- uh, nearby trees, you know, listening to a podcast, you know, like where did the road go or, or hidden experience. And, Listening to that and, and thinking about things and being in a place when, when you can see uh, things growing. That is, to me, incredibly thera- therapeutic, you know, see, seeing things uh, alive, growing, uh, seeing leaves, seeing branches, you know, uh, uh, made me realize how much how much I love trees, you know, how much uh, trees are important to me, you know, even, or even if you don't have access to trees, you know, if you, if you manage to, to, to have a, a place in which you can plant a garden, you know, that, mm. that I recently tried to get into gardening, you know, trying to <laughs> grow a few things. And uh, I managed to find, you know, that how much pleasure you can find in, in, in seeing things grow, so, you know, nature is 
also a good therapy. Yes. I uh, I remember there was there was some point I was depressed within the last few years. And where I live is, is kind of out in the middle of nowhere. So I have a lot of trees around. I have some fields around. And I, I started walking down the road, pitch darkness. And I was just kind of walking, you know. And uh, I ended up between two fields with insect noises, you know, like the, the crickets and everything else. Yeah. And they were so loud. It was unreal. Like so loud that it was, it, it almost created an altered state of consciousness because these crickets were just overwhelmingly there, you know, and it was almost like being just inundated with that sense of life around you. And it completely alleviated the depression. Oh, how wonderful. And I mean, it was almost, it was almost loud enough to hurt, but not white. And I've never heard them that loud before. How interesting. So you've never heard them that loud before. And it, it seems like, I mean, this is me talking, you know, like I would speculate, you know, like, or I would, it's playful to, I mean, was it divine intervention? Did like God turn up the volume knob just to, for therapy, a little sound <laughs> therapy you or know, something or yeah. God or, you know, whatever mother nature or, you know, the, the elves and fairies, you know, hiding behind the trees who did it. That doesn't matter, but that you received a benefit <laughs> is what's important. Right, right, exactly. Yeah. But it, it, it sometimes taking walks in nature does help, and things like exercise and eating right also I agree, help. Yeah. True, true. Because a lot of times when you're depressed, you you lose your appetite. As you, I think. Yeah, that's the first you know, sign. You, you, very first sign I get is my appetite goes away. And when I do eat, you know, like you go and you go and you go and the hours and hours and day goes by and you haven't really eaten anything, then you gorge yourself on sugar. Yeah, you're eating, mm. and then yeah. that was that created a vicious cycle. Of just your that was just toxic for my mood. Mm, all right. And any last words? There's hope. Yes. There is hope. That's it. That is good. It may sound trite, but it's, it's, uh, it, you know, especially to someone in the throes of this. But, um, yes, there is hope. And, and no matter how bad things are, there is always hope. You just don't always know sure. where it's coming from. And it's going to, um, my sense is going to come from the weirdest, most. You know, you you know, like where you're looking, it you're not going to find it. It's often going to come from somewhere else. And yeah. no matter what you think, you know, in your uh, at your worst, there is a reason why you're here. There is a role you need to play in this, you know, this this play, <laughs> you know, and everything it's an important one. It's an important one, no matter what you think, you know. All right. I think that's, uh, yeah, that's good. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thank you. I didn't really know what to expect here when we you went know, I said, sure. You know, you said, like, oh, I'll, do a, I'll do a round table. I had no idea who the guests were going to be. I thought it would be like 10 people or something. And this has been really re- rewarding and, <laughs> and, and, and pleasant. And, and I feel, you know, good about these last couple hours. Yeah, me too. Okay, great. Even better. I want to take a moment here to thank all of my Patreons. Without you, this show would not be possible. And I want to give a special shout out to those of you pledging $10 or more. Greg Ross, Billuminati, Leanne Cherry, Matt in Delaware, Allison Cook, Super Inframan, Tim, Matthew Sproul, Andrew Nichols, Christine, a blue second gen MR2 drifting around a Japanese mountain, Patricia Gaiaquinta, Alex Whitcomb, American Rambler, Andrew Maines, Ann Witowski, Barbara Fisher, Beverly Williamson, Big Boy Limina, Bright Rectangle, Charles Davis, Charles in Florida, Land of the Crazy Incommunicable, Craig Cicernos, Craig Parmenter, Diane B., MTK, Eric Citron, Eric Todd, History and Coffee, Jay, Jay Otto Bullet, Jack Huntington, James Lindsay, Jim and Sophie, John Mattingly, John Bracken, Carla Mahoney, Kevin, CJ, 
Kevin Shrek, Cool Kitty, Kristen L., Laser Printer Jam, Lauren McLean, Linda, Lynn's Jackson K., MJ Armstrong, Mark Bowley, Mark Brady, Mr. Weird, Ole Andre Olar, Paul Jeffries, Philosopher of Mirrors, Wesley, Riker and Stark, Ron Dupre, Sam Sharon, Schmooples, Devourer of Mortal Souls, Seed Person 1, Stacy Sherwood, Tactical Therapist, Deller Bell, Thunderboy, Tyler Glimstead, Varosh K, Vincent Trewell, Will Gebhard, Will Powell, Ren Collier, Annabelle Smith, Caroline Walker, TDT Skunkworks, A Crocodile, and Craig Sagastumi. Thank you all so very, very much. All right, and to take you out, we're going to hear uh, some Kimberly Freeman. This is the uh, vocalist, guitar player for One-Eyed Doll. This is one of her solo projects. And uh, this is a song called Overdose, because it seems fitting. See you next time.
the shore In the ocean I am swimming Swimming There's a blood stain on the floor